a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor. And Michelle, today it's Celebrity Day here in the KSL (laughs) studio. We have Casey Scott, who hosts his own very popular podcast, has a great story to tell that we, before this, were talking about all the directions we could go that would take hours. But Casey, welcome to the studio and thanks for coming in to share your story of resilience and rehab and recovery and everything else. Thanks for having me. And first off, I'm glad I'm sober because I don't know if I could say relentlessly resilient. (laughs) Not three times. You know what I mean? I mean, that would be the thing right there. I was like, on the way down here, I was like, relentlessly resilient. It sounds like one of those things actors do before they get ready. Warm up your mouth. Relentlessly resilient. Well, Well, we're we're here. A lot of our listeners here at KSL listen to your Project Recovery podcast. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit. How long have you been doing that? What's the nature of that show? For those who maybe don't know it yet, then we're going to jump into you. So I've been doing it for four years. I have a co-host who's a clinical psychologist. His name is Dr. Matt Woolley. Uh, And oddly enough, I came up for the idea of the podcast while in rehab. Uh, Because most people, when they think of addiction, uh, they think of people like at Pioneer Park or Strung Out or people you see on Law & Order. Uh, The real face of addiction is what I encountered when I was in rehab. And it was moms up on the East Bench. It was law officers. uh, It was, you know, it was... It's news personalities we're familiar with every day on the It's the person giving you coffee at Maverick. And so I was like, this is the real face of addiction and it's everywhere. But nobody's really talking about it. And unfortunately, all of us in this room, including our great producer, Kelly Ann Halverson here, we're all familiar with it. Mm-hmm. We've all been impacted on a personal level by it. We Family all know the members, resilience. Loved ones. We know yeah. the resilience, not only of the recovering addict, but those who love and care and hate and can't stand and wish and all of those emotions. So let's jump in really quick. Give us your background. We know you made it to rehab. Walk us through the, the synopsis of how you landed in rehab and when. Well, so I was born and raised right here in Utah, Ogden, Utah. Uh, Graduated from Ogden High, then went up to Utah State. Uh, I started probably drinking around the age of 14. Wow. And it was just something that I thought everybody did. I mean, I mean, well, everybody in my circle did. Most of the kids. Fourteen is so young, Casey. Yeah, like, I, I, think I, that now I, with your own kids, like that's yeah, young. I've got a fourteen-year-old, and when I was fourteen, I thought I was so mature. I thought I was so adult. And, and I look at my fourteen-year-old daughter now, and I can't imagine her holding a beer in her hand or right? or holding a cigarette. Yeah. But there I was doing it, and. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, most of the people I hung out with did, and they all come from pretty great families. But, And I don't know if it was a different era or we didn't have the education that we have now or or what, but I mean, I just thought I was doing what... Are was... you a part of a church member? No, no? I no, I, I grew up in a, a predominantly LDS neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were the one, we were the, the house that weren't members. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember now, uh, our house was called the House of Sin. 
I mean, it, it was from, from what the neighbors would say, you know, and oh, I remember wow. getting in a confrontation with my neighbor because I found out our house was the house of sin. Now, That's ridiculous. our house was known as the house of sin because my mom was a single mother uh, and she worked in real estate. And so she had to show homes in the evening. So we were left there by ourselves to kind of latch key kid and make our own burritos and, and do what we did. And, and yeah. it just became the house where people congregated at because probably because there wasn't much parental service. Because you could. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, no, and, no and supervision. I, on the other hand, so 14 seems really young. I was a little bit of a wild child. My wild started at 16, but I was part of a church family. And we hung out together and got in trouble together. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that happens, you yeah. know. And so, I, and so I did that, and you know, I mean, I, I played varsity in three sports. I was a diver, I was a pole vaulter, and I was a fo- football player. Um, and I graduated with a decent GPA and went off to college and went up to Utah State, and I joined a fraternity. And all along, I partying was, you know. Well, part of my life. But it sounds like you made it work in kind of mainstream life. Like you had said, you weren't the, the stereotypical hung up on the streets. You're, you're still in class. You're still maybe hanging out with a job. It was definitely a part of who I was or yeah. who I thought I was. And it was a part of my social identity. I mean, I was the guy that if I showed up at a party, it was going to be fun. You know what right. I mean? I, would say, I, I was. It was going to be like sure. the old Spinal Tap. We were going to turn this up to 11. You know, your speakers only go to 10, but mine Watch go out. to 11. Watch you out. know, and so, but it was, it was, and I was very much celebrated for being the party guy. For animal. being the party guy. So does that stay with you after teenage and young college life? As you grow into like a more adult, do you maintain that kind of persona? And it was actually my calling card to get into this industry. Uh, I mean, oh, that's interesting. Tell us more there. So I uh, so I graduate, and my dad was a TV radio guy. And graduate from college. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. I, I'm still about five credits short. Oh. Uh, I did two sophomore years and five years of college. And my mom and dad, who okay, paid listen, for Utah State, let's get this yeah. guy's degree. They called let's me and they back. said, "Hey, uh, you've been there for five years. I think we're, we're done." done. <laughs> and I said, "Okay." And they go, what do you mean? Okay. I go, I guess we're done. And so I packed up and I moved to Salt Lake and I got a job on radio. Wow. And uh, So how did your party persona play into that? Because when I moved into radio, uh, radio was a party and you wanted to portray the party. And I was the guy that was the man on the street that was going out to the concerts, going to the clubs and anything that was hot in town. (laughs) I was there and coming back. So you made a great radio personality. Yeah. And I came back and I was uh, and I would report to the morning show and they would send me everywhere and I'd be out the guy. Here's a funny story. So uh, I grew up in Utah. You think I would know about, you know, BYU and all of that. But. It was back to school, and so they say, hey, go to BYU. I've got a bunch of concert tickets in hand and you know school supplies, and go up to random people, and if you ask them a question they know the answer, you'll give them concert tickets or school supplies. So there I am. I'm on uh, BYU's campus, and within 15 minutes, I'm like the fifth Beatle. Everybody knows I'm there, and they're all surrounding me wanting to get free stuff. And so after it was all said and done, I looked at this person. I go, hey, how did you guys know I was here? And they go, it was pretty easy. And I go, how? And they go, you're the only one smoking on campus. Oh, got it. <laughs> so it's not your concert ticket yeah. school supplies. But I was a cigarette Wait. smoker back then. And so I'm walking around BYU. I got massive uh, sideburns, both ears pierced, and smoking a cigarette. And I'm wondering how everybody knows who I and am. And you're handing out free stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I was like... Huh. <laughs> okay, so so you get into the radio industry. I've known you from the TV world. Where did you transition from radio to TV? So I was on a radio station called 107.5 The End, and I was producer Casey, and that was the I was kind of the stunt boy, and I'd go out and do all that stuff. 
And uh, we had a good relationship with a TV personality back in the day named Allie McKay. And when Allie McKay would come on our radio station, our, our, our ratings went up. Huh. And uh, when she would go to out of town, she would ask me or Big Buddha to fill in for her. Oh, cool. And so when she would go out, we'd, we'd you know, go back and forth and we'd get the opportunity. And I kind of uh, remember being, I think I was 27 in radio, and I went to the program director and I said, hey, is this as good as it gets? And he goes, unfortunately, it is. You've topped out. We're not going to put your name on the show. You're at the top of your field in this, and you're top of the pay. And I said, well, if that's it, I got to go. And he's like, you're leaving? I was like, yeah, you just are, told me Are this. you married with kids at the time? No, nope, I'm, no, I'm still single guy? Still single. Living the I, life? Living the life. And I said, well, I, I've got to go. And so, did you have a plan? No, no. Well, and that's a running theme, and that's kind of a running theme one. in my life. You know, I, I, I'm still I, living the party life. Still living the party life, and still drinking and, and doing. So, all. at some point, though, I know you do. You find a wife and kids. So, tell us where do you transition from that? Where do you enter family life? Uh, so, you know what? Now, thinking back, it was the end of my radio career where I met my my huh. ex wife. Okay, and this is a bizarre story. We like bizarre stories. Yeah. So we had this radio psychic that would come on every Thursday. Okay, now you're talking Michelle's language. <laughs> and so this radio psychic came on, and I had just went on one date with my ex-wife. And, uh, and the I was, psychic said it was... I was smitten. I oh. was absolutely in love. And uh, so we get the psychic on there, and the psychic does her psychic thing and goes, this is the girl you're going to marry. And I went, no. She goes, this is the girl you're going to marry. So the radio host hangs up. Picks up the phone and dials her G, number. Her number, <laughs> and I proposed to Just her. Just been prophesied. Oh, shut up! Yeah, I proposed and to she her. She said. She, she was a little taken back because she just had surgery. And she just had one date, or how many dates have we had at this point? Probably maybe a month and a half. Wow! And she said yes. Wow! 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 Okay, what year was that? How many years ago? Ah, uh, so I believe it was two thousand and two. I'm horrible with numbers. That's all right. About 20 years ago. Um, yeah, about 20 years ago. So you get married, you start a family. Where's your career go and what does your party life look like? So we leave the radio and I get a real estate license because that's what my mom does. And um, I remember my mom sitting me down and going, you got to get out of this career. I go, why? She goes, because you talk too much. Because like, I'm spending all day long driving around with potential clients. Because you're to, a radio guy. Yeah, trying to, you know what I mean? And she's like, eventually they've got to buy, Casey, or you're just going to run out of money. Right. And so there was an opening at Channel 2, and uh, I didn't have a suit. Uh, well, the reason I didn't have a suit, so I would try to get out of the real estate, and I'm going to this medical sales job, and I'm, it's between me and another guy. And I do all the classes and all the stuff, and uh, at the very end, I didn't get the job. So I follow up with the guy and go, hey, I'm just curious because I really like this field, and I think I might want to do that. Is there a reason why I didn't? Why didn't you pick me? Yeah, and he goes, it was very close, but the other guy wore a suit and you didn't. Shut up. <laughs> I swear. So did you go buy a suit? So we, at the time, we didn't have any money. Oh. And so the Channel 2 job comes open. And there's four of us going for this job. And we get to the final point, And my ex-wife goes, hey, you need to get you a suit. You got to have a suit. So we went to the DI. And I bought a suit. And I bought a suit by myself. And I bought it right before I walked into the news oh, director's no. room. And I walk in there and Mary Nichols goes, are you wearing your dad's suit? I go, why? She goes, because it's way too big. And so, and so. Did some, the jacket at least match the pants? Yeah, they did. Okay, yeah, good. they did. Okay, they good. did. And, and uh, so I got the suit and I got the job and that got me into TV. So that's where you started. That's where I started. And so I did uh, Channel 2's morning show for 
15 years, and well, I was the host, the original host of Fresh Living for yeah. 12. Okay, so you go from radio to TV. Mm-hmm. You go from single party guy to married father party guy like yeah. is that still a part of the persona your your wife's aware of that it just is what it is so interestingly enough my uh, ex-wife she was a member of the church and uh when we met she wasn't active so she would go to clubs and she would you know i mean she wasn't never to my degree sure. mm-hmm. but she was okay but with she was it. there with you yeah sure. And then when we got married and had a kid, she decided this is not the life for her. That changes for a lot of mm-hmm. people, kind and, of that younger party life to yeah. now I'm responsible for another human being. I think it changes for most people, but yeah. in my head it didn't click got yet. It. I thought I could have one foot in both worlds. Sure. And I tried to do that. Okay. And it was evident that in our early marriage that alcohol had become a problem. So that was going to be a problem. Not – I say it be- – Looking back in hindsight, I mm-hmm. know it was a problem. But for the majority of my marriage, I thought she had the problem hmm. with Fair. me drinking. Does yeah. that make sense? The alcohol right. wasn't to blame. She was. Yeah. And not only that. Right. It's just if like, she had just stopped nagging you, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. And you don't understand. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I'm, I, I'm perfectly under control. And I, and I wasn't. But this is my body. And, and I, and I want to do it. I, look, I don't care if you drink or not. Yeah. I do care if you tell me I can drink or not. Sure. And that's the kind of defiant personality that I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love it when somebody tells me I can't do something. Watch out. Because I go, hold this and watch. <laughs> and, and, and that's the same thing that made me and, – and, and people who have offense with this term – such a good alcoholic. Mm. Because you don't get to tell me. And for the longest time, that's kind of what I did is I was able to do great things while drinking. I mean, I became, you know, we had had great success. Yes. Yeah. And everything just seemed to work out. It was like that dumb Seinfeld episode where he throws a 20 out the window and then reaches in his pocket. There's a 20. Yeah. It just always seemed to work out for me until it didn't. Until it didn't. Okay. We're going to take a break right there and come back. Thanks, Casey Scott, for joining us. And we're excited to see where this goes next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Casey, so we're jumping and you said everything worked out. You had this magic ability to live the professional life, the family life, the party life. It's all working out great until it didn't. Mm -hmm. Tell us when it didn't. Uh, I mean, there was cracks in the wall in hindsight, you know, long before it it came crashing down. Sure. Um, You know, where I used to be able to string together great months of living in both worlds. But every once in a while, I would ruin a wedding or ruin a family party or, you know, just say some things that I couldn't take back. Yeah. Um, and that, that that hurts me. Cracking that foundation. Yeah. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it, it was just one of those things that I it was ego. It was ego and everything seemed to have worked out thus far. So why shouldn't it now? Yeah. That kind of shock. 
So let's talk the public downfall. I remember it. I live in this community. I'm familiar with news and different news personalities. I remember when the news story broke Mm -hmm. that you as a newscaster had now been busted, for lack of a better word. Let's tell that story for a minute. So before we get to that, real quick, um, the divorce really took its toll on The divorce me. came before. The divorce came before Let's the accident. the timeline in order. Okay. The divorce came before. And um, I remember my ex-wife just saying, I'm done. And I had heard that before, but I never really believed it. Sure. You know, until she was adamant that she was done. And I remember her just looking at me. He's like, I do not think you get this. Which clearly you hadn't. Because no. if she said she was done before and you hadn't changed. Yeah. And I thought this was just the game we played. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is the game that married people played. You and know you always mean? come out the winner. Yeah, you know what I mean? And this time I didn't. And she was done. Mm. Did she leave that night or did she? Um, she yeah. I mean, we we lived in separate bedrooms for a while. We tried to do that to figure out what it is, to to try to take the kids, you know, in consideration and yeah. do all of that. But Three I remember, kids, right? Yeah, three kids. Uh, yeah. Wonderful kids. Amazing kids. Beautiful kids. Um, my reasons for sure. everything. Um, she, then eventually she decides she's moving out and she moves in with her brother up in South Ogden. Takes and the kids? No, we, we, we've got them 50, 50. Okay. Um, you know, because they, they lived in the, the area that I lived in. So back and forth, back sure. and forth. And, you know, my ex-wife is very cool when it comes to you're their dad and they need you. Yeah. I'll tell you a story in a bit that it blows my mind and, and, and I'm forever grateful that she said this. Uh, but she, she she leaves, and then all of a sudden, I'm doing a morning show where I'm supposed to entertain and make everybody happy. And then I go home and I sit in an empty house by myself, mm. and there I'm alone. Um, that's when the drinking really yep. kicks up. The drinking had been bad before, um, and, and really caused it goes from bad to worse in a heartbeat. I mean, there was times where I would look in the mirror. And I would talk to the mirror, and the mirror would talk back. And I'd be like, hey. And the mirror would be like, what? I was like, hey, we're not going to drink today. And the mirror would be like, yes, that's a great idea. And an hour and a half later, I'm on the back deck with a beer in my hand. Like, one of us is a liar. Because we were both there, and we both agreed we weren't going to do this. But it was almost automatic. I mean, so much in the fact is that when I went to rehab, uh, as a treat, they would take us to the Maverick to get drinks some days if we'd been good. And I would walk into the Maverick, and without thinking, I'd be standing in front of the beer cooler because it was just, just auto- habit, muscle automatic. memory, a- automatic. And I'd be like, and the, the guys, like, the guy was like, "Hey, Scott, what we're are getting you, Slurpees today. What are you doing over there by the beer?" And like, "Oh man, you know, I mean, but it was just, I mean, there yeah. were certain things like that that happened, yeah. you know." Um, and so I'm there by myself, and I'm drinking, and I'm in my own head, and I'm in my own thoughts, and I and I don't know how to get out of it, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and it just escalated really bad to the point where I couldn't stop it, and uh, I'd be laying in bed, and I'd, I'd, my head would be running. How am I going to fix this? What am I going to do? Well, I got to get some sleep because I got to be on the air in the morning. Let's just have a couple beers and couple beers turned into six, six turned into 12 and whatever it did. And I remember waking up at, you know, I've got to be on the air at 530. I'd wake up at 330 with these massive panic attacks where I just, I wanted, all I wanted was to get out of my body. All I want, I just, I, I, I got to get out and I would pace the house and, and I couldn't, and I couldn't slow down and I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the tools. Meanwhile, the public world didn't know this. We no. watch you because you showed up on the air at 530 in the morning and you're fun and you're engaging and you're waking us up and it just looks like everything's great. But it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. And I would go home 
and um, I would drink myself to numb myself. And I isolated from my family. I'd cause riff in my family. Did you just go home from work and it, you would just start drinking yeah. all the way until you were in I would, bed? I would try to time it. I oh. would try to time it to where I would be drunk enough to fall asleep and hopefully sleep through the night. And get some kind of reprieve. But at the time, I've also got 50% of my kids. And so yeah. if you go back and you, re- you hear my daughter's story in her letter, I mean, there was a lot of times of me just sleeping on the couch. And my older daughter hiding beer cans from my younger kids. Wow. Because they were taking care of me, you know, and I wasn't a good dad. I was trying to do everything I could, but I didn't know what to do. And the one thing that seemed to work was drinking. Was numbing it. And and that one wasn't helping. Okay, so what happens that fateful day? So I'm at a golf tournament and I'm supposed to pick up my kids. And I'm coming home, and a car pulls out. I swerve around, and I hit two cars. And I remember the truck flipping around, resting up against a tree. I remember somebody opening my door, dragging me out, asking me if I'm okay. I do remember saying, what about them? Are they okay? They go, you need to lay down, or you can be okay. And I said, what about them? They said, let's just work on you. And I remember laying down on the ground. I remember blood coming down my face. I remember seeing smoke in the air, sirens twirling, and clouds passing by and thinking, my life is over. Casey Scott, what have you done? I do not think there's any coming back from this. Wow. So that's intense. What were they okay? That yeah. they, everybody so, involved? Yes. Um, they say nobody was seriously injured. And okay. I do not like that phrase because sure. I think any injury is serious. It's serious. And well, and the emotional and psychological side of the physical injury as well. Yeah. So do you go from this? I, I imagine you're intoxicated and that's what causes this accident. Yeah. Rehab transition. How do you get to rehab? So I come to about two hours later and I'm in the hospital. And I look over and they've got those, you know, silver napkin holders on the wall. And I can see myself in there. I know it's me because I'm handcuffed to the the gurney. But I do not recognize the person looking back at me. And that scares me. I mean, I I, I mean, I know it's me. Kind of a wake up call. But you cannot recognize yourself. That person is so empty, so broken, so shattered. And I think to myself, how, how, how'd I get here? And I, and, and I remember them going, it's time to go to the, to the jail. And the guy was like, Mr. Scott, we're going to, we're going to do you a favor. We're going to handcuff you in the front and we'll put something over you. So you don't have to walk out with your hands behind your back. And I go, thank you. And I didn't know what was going to be on the outside of the hospital. And, and luckily there was nothing. We just walked right out and they put me in the police in car, the car and they drove me. To the jail cell. And so I go there and they book me for DUI and they give me my mugshot, the mugshot that now ends up on everyone's Instagram, Facebook, every news station, sure. every TV station, all, everything. It was everywhere. Um, and they tell me my bail and I pay my bail and I go, okay, I'm going to take off. They go, um, no, you're intoxicated. You need to have somebody come pick you up. 
and my cell phone's in the car that I now wrecked. How are you going to leave? Because the car's wrecked. I, I was just going to walk home. Oh, okay. I was. I just. I. I wanted. But they didn't even leaving. want you to walk home. No, no. You were just leaving. No. They said you need to call somebody responsible to come get you. I don't have anyone's numbers memorized because it's all in your cell phone. Who does anymore? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I can tell you right now, Tony Henderson, eight zero one four seven nine nine. That was my best friend growing up. Nineteen eighty five. Yeah, I know my home phone number <laughs> you, too. You know sure, what I mean? Right. Gotcha. And, and I got that number down because right. I called it a billion times. But don't ask me right. any phone yeah. numbers. Like I, I mean, I love my kids, but I can't tell you their numbers. No, it's just in your phone. Yeah. Right. But I know one person's number, and uh, your ex-wife. She's not a big fan of mine. Yeah, rightfully so. So I go to the guy who's at the jail. I go. So if I don't bail out, how long am I here? And they said overnight. And I sat over that for fifteen minutes. Do I stay a night in jail, or do I call the person who's not going to be happy to hear from me? So I called her, and. Um, Luckily, she came and picked me up. I remember walking out of the jail cell, and uh, my shirt's covered in blood. I've got a Harry Potter-sized scar above my forehead where they've now stitched. And she just looks at me. And uh, she's crying. I'm crying. And we get in the car, and we're about—I live about less than 10 minutes from the jail. And it seemed like eternity to get to my house. Pull up to the driveway, and um, I get out, and she gets out, and she goes, do you want a hug? And I said, no, I don't think I deserve one. And she goes, everybody deserves a hug. So she gave me a hug, and I remember standing there, and I said, hey, I don't know how, but I promise you I'll make this better. And she goes, I believe you, because I've seen you do amazing things. If anybody can do it, you can do it. And uh, I walked into my house. I sat on my couch. And uh, didn't know what I was going to do. But I thought to myself, I've been the CEO of this company called Casey Scott for 44 years. We had some pretty good years. But now we're coming to an impasse and we've had some pretty bad years. So maybe it's time to let somebody else drive the ship. Yeah. So I called uni, which is a detox facility and uh, set up an appointment and uh, they said, be here at 10. I said, I'll be there at six. They said, we don't open till seven. I said, I don't care. I can't be home by myself. I got to wake up and get out of here for sure. So I had to call my mom. It's great self-awareness. I had to call my mom to come pick me up and go up there. But right after that, I called KSL because I was a news reporter for them. And I said, hey, I need to give you guys a heads up because it's going to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. But like I said, that's where I saw it. You know, and so they're like, okay. And uh, I checked myself into uni, which was a detox facility. So how many days? Seven. That's so, an intense detox. Uh, alcohol and opioids. It's are... really dangerous. Um, yeah. I've had family members that are addicts, and mm-hmm. they say it's one of... It's to it, the deadliest. It's it opioids the deadliest. And, and, alcohol. and alcohol. So much of the fact that during my detox, I ended up in the ER because my heart rhythm got so low and all that. They, they were really worried about me. Yeah. I, I was surprised to learn that. Yeah. The things you learn. Yeah. They take they, You walk in there. They take your shoelaces. They give you no-slip socks. Um 
and you walk around and you're kind of lethargic and they feed you, they monitor you and they watch you. They're and just it, trying to keep you alive. Yep. And it, 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 it was my first experience. That was the first time I ever stood up in a meeting and said, hey, I'm Casey Scott. I'm an alcoholic. I didn't know why. I didn't, I didn't know if I believed it or what. But sure, I mean, but that's I, what you say. Yeah, you know, so I'm there, you know. and uh, So at this point, you don't even realize that you are an alcoholic. I mean. You knew that you had a problem with alcohol, but you hadn't, like, taken ownership that, like, I have a disease. You know, I'm there, an alcoholic. There, there's something magical to saying it out loud. And Which is why they have you say it out loud. And, I, yeah, and that's why. And, I, yeah. and, 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 I never, and I've never really said it out loud. Now, have I thought it? A billion times. Sure. A billion times. But own it out loud. Yeah. And that was kind of why the podcast came about. Okay. I was like, if I'm going to own this, I'm going to take you all along on the ride with me. Well, and how many people you've helped in the process. We're going to take another break and come back. You go from detox to rehab to four years sober. I mean, four years sober. That's a journey we want to talk about the resilience along the way. We'll be right back. So a week in detox, then straight to rehab. Did you think you could do it without rehab? Walk us through the next steps. I didn't even know what I was going to do. So while I'm in uh, detox, you know, you're taking classes. And, and, I, and I promise you, this part is true. It was close to Thanksgiving. Uh, and I'm drawing turkeys with my hands like you do in fifth grade. You know what I mean? <laughs> or <They're>, kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. like art classes, you know, and then just anything. You that know, is just, kindergarten. Just to keep your mind busy and, and, and stuff like that. And so while I'm in there, I'm about five days in, they go, hey, there's some people from some recovery centers here. Um, would you want to talk to them? And it was just an offer. It wasn't sure. like they set up these things. It or wasn't whatever. a required no, part of it. But I was like, you know, I've already talked to all these guys for the past five days. Bring me Something someone to new. Do. And so I sat down and I talked to two places and um, both of them sounded good and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I didn't have a home to go back to. I was pretty sure I didn't have a job to go back to. Yeah. And so thinking of the same long, let's let somebody else run the company for mm-hmm. a bit. Let's just see where this goes. So I picked two places. I'm 44 years old. I have to call my mom once again, who's a saint. Um, she's an amazing lady. I said, hey, mom, uh, I want you to go check out these two rehabs and Tell me what your thoughts are. So she goes and does a walkthrough on both of them and calls me back and goes, I think you'll really like this one. I think it, it matches you. Because each rehab has a different sure. feel. Mm-hmm. There's, there, there's very religious ones. Yep. There's very homeopathic ones. There's very, you know, nutritional well, like based. Therapy. They're, not, they're not all the same. You need to find what's a good fit or it's just not going to have a chance yeah. of working. So, so I end up going to this place called Pinnacle Recovery. And I walked in there and... Um, I wasn't sure. Still wasn't sure. Straight from straight from detox. Yep, yep. And Good. so here's a fun story. Um, a month before I get in the accident, I meet a new girl. Um, and I start dating her. And she doesn't know that I have a drinking problem. She just thinks I'm this fun-loving guy. And so we'd been dating for a month. And all of a sudden, I ghost for two weeks because, well, I mean, detox and now i'm in recovery well for and sure th- in jail then detox yeah and recovery yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and so when you move into detox and uh recovery they call it blackout period so you're not allowed to call anybody yeah because they don't want you to right no for a good reason yeah and so i call my girlfriend after two weeks of not speaking to her i was like hey she's like hey 
I was like, do you have running shoes? And she was like, why? I go, because I'd put these on and I would not look back. I would take off. You know, I would not stick around for this. And she goes, well, I'm not happy, but I'm also not leaving. Wow. So let's see where this goes. And I can tell you right now, she just moved in with me three weeks ago. So this is, wow. this is the, this is the, the same girlfriend gal? Same girl. We need to interview her because her story, you know, there's always that story behind the story. She, and, and, and you know what? Without her, my recovery would not be possible because well, I didn't have a so license. True. I didn't have a license for a year. She drove me yeah. to all my appointments. She well, just that accountability Christmas. and support. Oh, yeah. I'm impressed with the support from your ex-wife. I mean, she had lots of reasons to just hate you more. Oh, 100%. And, and, and to offer you that hug and what she said with that hug, like, that was that She was goes, your huge. kids need you. Get it yeah. right. You know, yeah. and I thought for sure she was going to use this to mm-hmm. take my kids and vilify me. Sure. That my kids would, I would, you know what I mean? I would be one which, of those. Which, to be honest, a court of law would probably say, yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. Casey. No. Yeah. But she never but she did. Didn't. And, you know, throughout this whole period, and and I've had some people comment on it, and, and that, that's their comment so they can say it. Sure. I maintain 50-50. Through all of this. Through all of this. That's amazing. And my yeah. kids are my reason why. Right. And, you know what I mean, they they make me want to be a better person. So let's talk for a second. You get into this rehab. You find one that you think is a good fit. You mentioned to us before we started recording that there was – uh, another friend or a person. Her name was Carrie. Re- Carrie in yeah. rehab that would say something to you. What Every would she day say? I would walk by her. She was sitting on the couch and she'd go 13. And she did this for three days straight. 13. Didn't, just the number. Nothing didn't say else. anything else to me. So finally I stopped and I go, hey, what is this 13? She goes, 13% of us are going to make it. And I remember thinking, first off, that is cold. That you would sit there and tell people <laughs> as they're going there for help. Yeah. Right. The 13%. Just trying to get started. And my second thought. And I took. Well, she wasn't telling you which one what she thought was going to make it, right? Then that's where I said, I go, and I said it out loud. I go, well, I'm going to be one of them. And she goes, how? How do you know? I go, because I've got a choice. Yep. You're already accepted. So from her, she's already kind of looking. Statistically speaking, I'm more likely to not make it than to make it. Yeah. And you're looking at it, going, well, 13 percent of us are going to make it, so I might as well be one of them. 100 percent. Huge. I said, I'm I'm going to be one of them. She goes, how do you know? I go, because I get to decide. And what I have figured throughout my recovery, for the longest time, I always just played by, not by everybody's rules, but just accepted what was given to me and made the best out of it. And that was a talent that I've always had. I mean, even growing up, it was like whatever was given to me, I will make the you best make out it of work. it. And, and make it work. Yeah. But when I started to flip the switch and goes like, you know what? I'm the author of my story. I can create. I can create. And I can go out and do what I want. And I'm not going to win everything, but I'm going to have a lot better luck if I'm, if I'm vested in it, if I'm not just reacting. So and I'm that's loving, what I would do. And I was a reactor instead of an actor. I'm loving this that you're saying that part of your resilience and your recovery journey was first realizing you got to let somebody else drive. Yep. You got to let somebody else be in charge so you could get to the point of realizing a healthy way for you then to be in charge mm-hmm. of your future, your destiny, your life. Like, I think that's powerful. And, 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 and that's, and that's what it, how it ended up being is that I was like, wait a minute, I can do this. And I remember, I mean, I was in rehab for 45 days. And uh, I remember sitting there and I have this therapist. His name was Eddie. He was a good dude. And we're sitting in there. And that was part of the recovery is that you met with a therapist a couple of times a week. And then you had process groups and all this other stuff. And so I'm sitting there and my therapist goes, hey, do you want me to blow your mind? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm in, I'm in rehab. Let's blow my mind. He goes, drinking's not your problem. I was like, what? I'm pretty sure drinking's my problem. I'm in rehab. He goes, no, 
your problems are your problems, and drinking was your solution. Oh, yeah. Wow. He goes, he goes, let's not get it twisted now. Drinking has become a huge problem sure, for sure. you because you're in rehab. But right. digging deeper. But digging deeper, your problems were your problems. and Absolutely. That's the coping and mechanism, And your right? drinking was your mask because yep. it right. didn't solve the problem. No, no. But I, I thought it gave me courage. I thought yep. it made me funnier. Made you numb. It made me numb. Sure. It made me forget. It made the mundane fun and all this other so, stuff. Helped you to not feel the bad yeah. things that you didn't want to feel or, yeah. the, or the lack love... of love in your marriage or, or disconnection yeah. or whatever. I'd love to know how, what, what is the mindset? What is this? You know, I was talk, talk about resilience. What was your mindset in that rehab facility that got you to become one of the 13%? Because Michelle and I both know and love people who have been through rehab and ended up the 87% three or four or five times. Can you give any tips or tricks? I know you've got this tenacity of, hey, I'm just going to do it. You've got these great people, the girlfriend supporting you, the therapist helping you. Can you quantify like your resilience, your muscle memory in your brain that you're like, hey, I'm changing how my story is going to end or at least the next chapters of my story? You know, you say I'm changing how my story ends. I remember a, a, a part of me in, in rehab thinking this is not how my story ends. I okay. did not do all of this. Not wanting that ending. Not not being that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be a caveat. I didn't want to be an asterisk. I didn't yeah. want to be the guy at the funeral saying, well, Casey had this really good life. And until. That, until. And I didn't want all that to be focused. Because all the interaction that I had with people prior on TV and all that was authentically me. Yeah. I mean, it was really me. And I, and I had like a lot you of, said, you did good things yeah. when you were CEO of Casey Scott. Yeah. And I had a lot of people question that. It was like, well, were you drunk then? Were you drunk then? And, and the answer, some of that is yes. Probably. And, but the other was, it didn't change that I, I'm, I'm a very kind-hearted, very loving, very jovial spirit that I want, like, I truly makes me happy to make other people happy. Yeah. The, the, the reality that came to me is that I can't be that guy all the time. And I was that guy all the time. I became who I thought I was on TV. And you cannot maintain that lifestyle. You cannot do it. That's why celebrity, uh, like musicians and actors. It always makes me sad with child stars. Yeah. You see these cute young kids that are either in TV or music or something. And then before too long, they they crash under it. Yeah. So so right out of... But awareness, self-awareness is huge. For you to recognize that. And the thing that was really my, my, my turning point was I will do whatever I'm asked to or whatever I need to make this right. Mm-hmm. Right out of rehab, I worked for a moving company. Uh, my buddy owned it and he Ubered me there and back every day and I delivered and put you to work. restoration hardware furniture. And I would walk into people's homes carrying couches and vanities and they were like, aren't you the guy on TV? And I was like, yeah, yeah where hi. do you want this couch? Casey Scott. And then I would go put their couch. And I remember I was taking my daughter's bike with a basket on it to Smith's at 7 o'clock at night to get milk for my kids because I didn't have a car or a driver's license. Because you couldn't drive. And I couldn't drive. I remember walking to my kids' school for their pageants and seeing other parents drive past me. Um, and you're hoofing it. And I'm hoofing it. But I was a degree of humility with that determination. Yeah. A lot of people have determination, but not willing to set that ego aside in order to get where you want to be. And, That's huge. And, and and I just like, OK, this is what it is. And then I got a job and I got other jobs. And the whole time I'm thinking, so, I, want, I want to get back on TV. You did lose your job then. Oh, so for every two days after I got my phone privileges, I would call HR here at Bonneville International and KSL. And I'd be like, hey, HR, it's Casey. You want, want me back? I just want to see how my job's doing. And Beth, who's a wonderful lady, she's like, Casey, 
We'll talk when you're done. Just realize that you're in the best place. Now, here's the cool thing about KSL. They kept me on as an employee in insurance the whole time. So I Oh, that's wonderful. So I could be in rehab. So again, you've got this network of support, whether mm-hmm. it's your employer, your girlfriend, you've got your kids motivating you by the that's fact that you blessing. want to be the father. Oh. That's I, huge. I mean, I've heard of people getting cancer and their jobs end. And oh. then they lose their insurance. And the benefits and that come with benefits. So, here's so, the I mean, this is a so huge... you had a lot of resources available, but you didn't squander them. You put them to good use. I, and that's yeah, the, self-determined. I'm sitting down in a meeting with uh, Tanya. She's the big boss here. And they're going over my contract. And they're going, because of this, this, and this, unfortunately, Mr. Scott, we've got to, got to terminate our contract. And we've got to mm. let you go. Um, and after it, rehab. After rehab. Yeah, sure. And she goes... Had you come to us before and said you had a drinking problem, you'd probably still have your job. I go, how do you go to your employer and tell them you think you're broken? Yeah. I, 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 Especially if you don't know you're broken until yeah. you actually break. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain degree. But of, there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff lead up to that that I probably yeah. should have. But that's hindsight. And I can't live in the past. Sure. So as she so lost this job, as she's firing me, I go, hey. She goes, what? And I go, so I came up with this idea in rehab. She goes, you're pitching me a job while I'm firing you? And I said, yep, I am. I love this. And that's your podcast. And that's my podcast. No way. I said, I've got this idea for a podcast, and I want to talk about the real face of addiction. I want to lessen the stigma and help people. And stop sweeping it under the rug. Because it's always these backroom conversations. A friend's a friend or you know, knows somebody who's done We're this. We're all heartbroken yeah. and devastated by someone well, we love struggling. I love it because I, I have several friends that are recovered addicts, and some of them own therapy recovery addiction centers you know uh-huh. and i think it's great but this is like the modern age of what we're doing now right yeah. podcasting uh-huh. talking to people making it real and, and creating connection in the community and i i love it it's great and creating it's why hope. i came up with this podcast i know yeah. but you see okay so what does she say Tanya? She goes, she's like great idea you're hired she goes ah let me think about it and she took a couple of days to think about it and she called me back and she goes i think we'll willing to do it with one condition and i go okay and i thought it was gonna be something that i'm gonna have to breathalyze sure. or i'm gonna have to Drug do tests test every day or, or whatever it is but yeah. at that point i would have done it because sure. i'm okay you know You're what i mean this is the one test in my life that i know i'll pass you know what i mean and so i i'm good with this and she goes you need to have a doctor that'll do it with you and i will say i, I love, love that. that i love the professional with the personal because uh-huh. how often do we turn only to the professional mm-hmm. which sometimes feels kind of textbooky or only the personal, which can feel anecdotal. Yeah, bringing the two together is powerful. So yeah. I, I, I was going to do a podcast with Dr. Matt Woolley before because we were both going through divorces at the same oh. time, uh, and unfortunately, the day that that podcast was supposed to launch is the day I got my DUI. Oh wow! So I had to make another call Derail. to Dr. Matt, who wasn't happy with me because we because you just derailed his goal too. Yeah, yeah. and I said, hey, and- I got this idea for this podcast, and uh, they're only going to allow me to do it if you'll do it with me. And if you don't want to do it, I get it. Sure. He goes, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. And so. And that's how it was born. And that's how no it was way. born. So Dr. You guys, you heard it here. The episode telling you the story about the episode of Project Recovery. All right. This is so dimensional. It's the backstory. <laughs> right? It's uh, the backstory. This is like what? Everybody has a backstory. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Yellowstone? What is yeah. the pink cool? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we've done it now for four years. Um, and you're sober. 
And sober. You're sober. Sober as the day is long. That's huge. I mean, that alone, four years sober after pretty much a life of alcohol drinking is huge. And so, I mean, I haven't, like, you you people talk about California sober, whatever. I don't do anything. The, The hardest I've ever been tested, it was last year, I had a cold. And uh, I wasn't sleeping, and I went to the medicine cabinet, and I opened it up, and there was a bottle of NyQuil. NyQuil. And I had a 15-minute conversation with myself uh, with a devil on one side and an angel on the other side thinking, this is what I should be able to do. But what if you like it? But what if it gives you sleep and all that other stuff? And I honestly stood in front of the the medicine cabinet for 15 minutes and decided, nah. I'll I'll, just stay sick. I'm going to tough it out. Because I don't want to let it in. And now people go after four years. What what is your thought process on drinking? And I still DJ around people that drink. I still have friends that drink and and, and all that other stuff. I can tell you right now unequivocally that I do not want to drink. I cannot promise you that I'll never drink. And I remember that conversation with my mother. It was the worst Mm -hmm. conversation we ever had. We're driving home and I'm on the phone with my mom. And I think I've got a year of sobriety. And she's like, whew. Thank heavens we'll never have to do that again. And she, I go, mm. my mom goes, did you just, mm? and I go, yeah. And she goes, really, after all you've put your kids through, all you put us you're through gonna, and all this you're stuff. You're going to think this might happen again. And I go, no, mom, I, I, I'm not saying that. But you want me to tell you I'll never do it again so you can sleep easy. But if I tell you I'll never do it again, that's the one thing that just resides in my head that gives me something to focus on. Yeah, and I don't want to do that. And I don't want to lie to you because I don't know. They even they asked me here at KSL, they go, how can you say this will never going to happen again? I go, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. All I can tell you is that I'm better equipped now. Yep. I'm better knowledgeable and better prepared. Well, I imagine prepared. your podcast to a degree has got to be therapeutic for you week 100%. after week after week. I mean, 100%. I know as we talk about grief and hardship and trials and things, I was going to ask, are you involved in any kind of AA or, or things like that? Or your podcast has kind of filled that That's part my of community. Your life. The yep. option of addiction. Because you have to have that community to come out of anything difficult mm-hmm. and, I'll, I'll and go, stay out. I'll go speak at schools this morning. I was at, at a golf tournament for the women's retreat house up in Ogden. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I'll go speak to anybody. Um, and, and But the opposite of addiction isn't abstinence. It's connection. And it's okay. finding that connection. And I feel like I've got so that connection. through this podcast. My podcast and the various people uh, around the community. Uh, I, I, I answer my Facebook messages, my Instagram messages. If I can steer people in the right direction, I try to help as much as I can. Well, you got a degree of accountability because now we're all watching you as that guy that's that's managed to stay sober and help other people in their journey to sobriety. And So, Casey, I have some questions okay. for you. <laughs> I'm an open book. You might not like the answers. Well, well, no. I mean, some of it's not personal, but it, but personal it, as far as like, how do we support people that are struggling with addiction? So I, I told you before we got started here, I'm single. I've been dating, found a great guy. We have great connection, great mm-hmm. chemistry. And I just told him, I'm like, I can't be in a relationship with you because he's not sober. And he's lost his four kids and his wife. And he's living out in another state because he has not... It must have been a disaster, right? Yeah. That thirty years of a disaster, uh-huh. and um, and and of course, I just don't want to invite drama into my life. But I really like the guy. How can I support somebody, but also like say, you got to go do you, go go handle you. That's what. Uh, so it's boundaries, right? It's it's having boundaries. Everybody's got to have boundaries. And most people don't understand that boundaries are for you and for them. Right. It's what you're willing to do. And you get to the boundaries like, hey, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. He called me. He was drunk recently. Mm-hmm. And I said, 
you're sitting in a bar right now. And he's like, why do you got to do that to me? Why are you so negative? And I said, because I can hear you at a bar. Yeah. I said, I'm not being negative. I'm being honest. Yeah. And I'm not going to enable. And and, and that's it. And I said, this is why I told you I couldn't do a relationship with you. I'm not interested in a codependent relationship. I want to consciously aware a relationship. And then he called me the next. I, I said, Oh, we're us addicts are great at apologies. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I said to him, feel free to call me once you've sobered up and you've reached out to your sponsor. And I heard from him the next day and he said, well, I got kicked out of my housing and I have no gas. And I said, you know what I know about addicts? They're the best charmers and they are mm-hmm. problem solvers. Oh, yeah. And he said, can you spot me some money? And I said, Nope, I can't. And he said, thanks. And you did what you should. You yeah. held yeah. your boundary. And, yeah. that's, and that's what it is. I mean, yeah. it, it's boundaries. And somebody once said it, and I think it's the best description, is um, love the person, hate the disease. Yep. Right. And, and and that's what you need to do. And, and let me tell you, this guy is madly talented. Mm-hmm. He is incredible on so many levels. And I'm thinking, can you not see your potential? But I actually think he does see his potential, but somewhere... He's broken somewhere. Well, he's it's like afraid you said, of it. it's not the alcohol that's the problem. There's mm. always something behind it. Yeah. Right. Some, yeah. Somewhere and most he's people afraid don't, of his I don't want to say most people. A lot of people won't do the work. Yeah. Uh, you, you imagine yourself, you know, walking through life with a backpack on. And it can start as early as two, three, or four. And if you find something you don't like or you, something that makes you feel uneasy, you grab that pebble and you put it in your backpack and you just mm. keep walking. And you don't even really think about it because it was just this little thing. But all of a sudden you get to be about 23 and you look back and that backpack is full of rocks. And it's darn heavy and it's dragging you down. So in order to get some of the things right, you need to sit down, grab that backpack, put it in front of you and start pulling those rocks out and start addressing those and start processing those feelings and those emotions. I mean, I grew up in an age where you rub dirt on it, you walk it off. Boys Tough don't cry. And, and, and that's it. Yeah. And, and that's not how the world works. And I no. think that's a lot of the reason why we're at where we're at. Uh, you've got to be able to do the work. And if you don't do the work. It's not going to take. And I would say, and the work keeps going. There's oh, not like do the work for a certain date or check it off the list. And no, it's a done. lifetime. Yeah. No, it is. It's it, a lifetime. It, it, and, 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 and like my life today is better than I ever imagined it could be. And I've, I, and it blows my I mind. That. I mean, there really is like I thought after the rehab and all that stuff, I was going to get a job. I was going to do something and it was just going to be kind of boring. And I would tell myself, Hey, we had a good first half. This is just going to, how it's going to end. And that's okay. That's just life. But today my life is more fulfilling, better, uh, authentic than it has ever been. And so much in the fact that I got my TV job back and I had written that off. I thought I was never going to be on TV again. I tried a year out of rehab. I called uh, KSL and I said, Hey, I'm ready. And they go, you're not ready. We're not ready for you, and you're not ready. And I'm like, cool. And then six months later, I was watching Indeed, like the the job posting site, and one came up. My job came up on Indeed, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna apply for this job. job. I, so I applied. I didn't tell anybody, I, and I applied, and I filled it out with everything, and and 100 and did it, and sent it in, and didn't hear a thing from them. Mm-hmm. And I know they got it, but I didn't hear a thing. And so then I started doing uh, marketing for Miki Couture and a title company, and the job was good, and I was making my bills, and everything seemed to be cool, and I was enjoying life and having a great time. Me and my girlfriend are remodeling a house and all this other stuff. And one day I come home, and I sit on the couch, and I get a text from the news director at KSL. Hey, you got time to talk? And I was like, what? And I was like, huh. 
well, let's see what this is all about. So I call her up and she explained to me what was going on in the newsroom and they thought maybe it would be a good distraction for people if I came and, and did a, a, a month on the morning news. And I was like, interesting. I'd written you guys off. I thought I was yeah, never going to get this opportunity again. I said, let me talk to my kids. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, I've got to talk to my kids because they had to go through this ride with me last time and yeah. it didn't end so well. So let me see what they think. Let me talk to my girlfriend. Let me talk to my ex-wife sure. because everybody's going to have to get involved because I'm going to be leaving early in the morning. Yep. And, and kids got to get off to school. Yeah. And, and then so let's see how this goes. And so I called my kids and I called my ex-wife. I called my girlfriend and they were all like, you know, dad, if it makes you happy, we'll support you. Let's see. Let, let's do it. So I did it for like one a, month. One month. And after that month, they go, hey. You're back. What do you think? We, we'd like you to keep around a little longer. So I just signed a two-year contract and awesome, I'm back Casey. on air and doing the job that I love. Because and- you're doing the work. I mean, I love this. We're talking resilience. We're talking connecting with people, owning your, your mistakes or just the whole authentic self. Mm-hmm. And it's not like everything just magically works out for you. But when you keep doing the work, it's a lot more likely things are going to start falling into place. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's that's it's just it's stupid. It's like, yeah, do what you're supposed to, and, and it seems to be a lot Isn't easier. Isn't it funny how that works? But I used to try to think outside and yeah. shortcuts and this. And so now a, a big part of my recovery is going to the gym. And I go to the gym whether I want to or not. Yeah. I make myself go. It's the time I get in there, sweat, get the endorphins. I get inside my head, and, and I kind of figure out a self-check and a little inventory of yeah. how are we doing, what's going on. And uh, and so far, it seems to be working. That's and, awesome. and I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. What an incredible story, an incredible life. It's exciting to have you in here on our podcast. I actually asked Kelly, I'm like, do you think we could get Casey Scott? Oh, I do. I'll talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah, so I'll much tell like, the story. Yeah, I can't sell real estate, but I'll talk to anybody. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> you never know. We just had another guest on. <laughs> you know, depends just how like, passionate you are about it. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I, I, you know, addiction's a big problem, and uh, because of COVID and everything that's going down, it, it's just getting bigger. It yeah. really is. It's, it is. It's a perfect storm for mental health, isolation. Unknown politics. You, you, and then you add finances and inflation to it because oh. we all know the stress money can, can cause in life. It's yeah. even more dangerous. It, yeah, we are in a crisis in this yeah. country, a mental health crisis for sure, but an addiction process. And, you know, I see it in the dating world. I, I've come across a lot of men. I went out a couple times with a group of people. Uh-huh. And one of the guys, he expressed his interest in me, but I said, you know, you're just not for me. You drink too much. Yeah. And it's just not something I want to invite. Well, you got to know what you, yeah. you're good with. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not wrong nope, to do that. Not one bit. No. Um, People go, are, are you mad at your ex-wife for leaving? And I go, no. Because it's her life enough. too. Right. You know what I mean? She gets to decide how her life is. Yeah. She just, right. You know, because we said I do 15 years ago doesn't mean she needs to be tethered to this you know to stuck, especially if you're the one making the choices you're making yeah to this yeah. titanic going right. down you know what i mean it and is I, yeah. impressive about your girlfriend though oh she, it, it, she's I mean, crazy cool it, yeah she might be a little bit crazy but oh, crazy yeah. cool oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i mean but she, she, you know she and you just got the house respect. remodeled how, how are the kids doing kids are growing up kids are normal kids just ups and downs like regular life yeah uh oldest has got a boyfriend uh he he seems to be pretty cool 
Uh, I'm paying full price for half shirts everywhere. I don't understand that. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't. I have a 17 year old daughter and a six year old son, and sometimes I think she's wearing his clothes. Yeah. So I'm like, where's the rest of that shirt on the hanger? There's no way that goes in your closet. So I'll leave you this because it's coming out in about a month, I believe. We were fortunate enough to go on a reality TV show. Oh, stop. Yeah. So me and my three kids. It's on BYU TV. It's called Survivalist. Okay. Uh, and so I there's a little the bit kids. about this just one. Not, not the girlfriend. No, 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 I'm the only okay. single dad to ever be on this television show. Oh, wow. And so what they do is uh, my daughter's letter was the catalyst to be on the show. Sure. And it's for families to work through an issue or a problem that they're currently dealing with. Okay. And so they take the giant therapy exercise. It, that's really what it is. And yep. it was amazing. And it, and it was therapeutic and it worked. Wow. Um, so it was. they flew us down to La Paz, which is about an hour up from Cabo San Lucas. So it was me and my three kids against um, husband and wife and their three kids. And they sent us out in the desert for four days with 40-pound backpacks, climbing up and down mountains, riding mountain bikes, no jumping off way. cliffs, eating foods, doing challenges. Uh, and it was legit. It was Like I thought my kids were like, Dad, what's this going to be like? I was like, it's BYU TV. It's probably yeah, going to be on. just uh, us in one camera on a, on a beach. This is like survival status. It was. It was, it was, it was, it was a full. So do we get to know if you win or we got to wait and watch? I can't tell you. Wait and watch. Yeah. But, it was, guys, but it, was, it was amazing. It'll probably be out right about the time we air this, to be honest. By the okay, time cool. Yeah. Survivalist BYU TV. Casey, it has been amazing to be with you. Thank you for sharing no, your story ladies, with thank us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Casey, for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story with us and also for giving so many other people on your podcast a voice, a voice of hope, a voice of honesty and authenticity, and a voice that can help us kind of, like you said, help end the stigma behind addiction and strengthen the road to recovery. So thanks for being here with us today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast if you like what you've heard and give us a rating and a review. And if you or someone you know has a real story about real life that you're willing to share, send us an email at rrpodcast at ksl.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or on Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. A huge shout out to our great producer, Kellyanne Halverson. And remember, whatever you do today. Remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles people are dealing with in their lives. Take care, everybody. I love you and I mean it. Bye. Oh, I like that. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said... You need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.